There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, y'all, I'm KC. And I'm Tyler. And this is the Elk Hunting Series from the Element Podcast. If you want to get on elk, it helps to hang with dudes that know elk. And that ain't us, but luckily the dudes that know elk have cell phones, and we call them up. So whether you're a veteran of September or you're just cutting your ivories in the elk woods, you're going to hear something here that will help you get the full draw of this fall. If you find this podcast helpful, poke that subscribe button and go check out our elk hunting playlist on YouTube. Now let's rock and roll. All right, y'all, on the show tonight, we have got none other than Brian Broderick of Day Six Gear. Brian, crazy uncle, what's up, man? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, crazy Uncle B, it's what we call him, or Bri Bri, one of the two. Bri Bri. <laughs> How are things yeah. down in the in the uh, Gulf Coast today, man? I thought I was Uncle Daddy. <laughs> I don't think I can call any other fella daddy. We I'm call sorry. that Dunkle, actually. <laughs> Dunkle. <laughs> um, oh, it's just hot. Yeah. That's it. Did y'all get yeah. any of that cool front that we got today? Yeah, it dipped down to uh, a frigid 93 today. That's same yeah. here, man. That's what we got. It's yeah. nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah. when it was 103 yesterday, 93 is pretty intense temperature drop you know yeah me without my parka i know (laughs) oh that's right man well um we have talked to you extensively about elk hunting this season off air and we thought it would be a pretty good time to to get you on to uh you know just convey some of that knowledge make sure people didn't think we were lying when we we told them that you'd you'd actually killed some stuff um so um what's your plans for you want me to uh or you want me to like give them all the spots i gave y'all yeah yeah, yeah that's kind of was the point you know i mean at least the unit numbers yeah definitely. Um, <laughs> what's your plans for elk this year since they change every time i talk to you <laughs> uh i'm gonna uh take a little making little... it up he's making it up right now he's making <laughs> <Well, no>. it up <laughs> 
Uh, I'm a little hesitant to talk about it because of this COVID stuff, yeah. and I'm not sure what the rules are where I'm going. Oh. And I, I can't play stupid if I sit on a podcast that <laughs> I actually know what the rules are. Gotcha. Well, yeah. just tell us when you're going. How about that? Yeah, I'm going. I'm going to New Mexico. Uh-huh. Uh, same place I went last year. Yeah. Where yeah. y'all? Where y'all saw me last year? Yep, we did. We shared a delicious right. breakfast of. Green Childs and <laughs> did Tyler yep. tell you his Green Childs story? Do you know that one? <laughs> <laughs> I can believe I can believe that, but with you two, that it was pronounced Childs. No, it was between us two. Yeah. Yeah. Is another. You fella. remember I'm a I'm a son of an English teacher, you know, so I'm not too dumb. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I wasn't talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> that narrows it down. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyways, uh, you actually helped us out quite a bit last year because we were kind of newbies with uh, a unit that I drew there in New Mexico, and you'd hunted it a few times, and um, we actually got to talking long before um, we really, you know, did much together at all. Uh, I just called you up to ask some questions about eras, and just kind of got talking about elk hunting, and you figured out that I was going to the Gila Wilderness area down there, and you hunted it quite a few times, and then. Yep. Through conversations in the past year or two, we've been talking, and apparently you've just hunted elk for 86 seasons, I think it is now, so I was hoping... 87. 87, yeah. okay, sorry, yeah. I, I didn't mean to short you one there, but... Uh, yeah. How, first of all, we were exaggerating a little bit, but you really have done a ton of elk hunting, especially for a guy who's from the Gulf Coast, right? How did you, yeah. how did you do that, man? How have you gone, and you're not an old guy. Um, well, he's somewhere between, yeah, yeah. somewhere between <laughs> 40 and 75, right? Yeah. <laughs> I can't really yeah. tell. He's built like a high school wrestler, you know, yeah. you know, about a buck 35, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah. how did, how did you, first of all, decide that you wanted to go do the elk thing so much and, and, you know, figure all this stuff out through the years? Well, um, first off, before we get into that, y'all made a comment before we got on the air that, <laughs> That y'all would see come September if I knew what I was talking about or not. Uh huh. And that is not fair because <laughs> the results of whether I know what I'm talking about or not cannot be based on whether you two goobers close the deal or not. Well, Brian, the because measure of a I, hunt is not if you kill something or not. Don't you know the PC answer to this? It's about the experience. <laughs> Mm, no. Um, <laughs> He's like, no, I done, done no. killed everything out west. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just, I don't, you know, I don't want you guys coming back with three arrows left between the two of you and say we didn't kill one. It's your fault. Hi, I didn't do that last year. Now we Come won't on. publicly. We won't yeah. do that publicly. That's right. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, publicly, yeah. Public. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, no, I mean, honestly. I was just, you know, of course, obsessed with hunting. And for whatever reason, you know, all the magazines and stuff that I would read, I was always kind of fixated on the Western stuff, you know. And Mm -hmm. back then it was outdoor life and field and stream and, uh, you know, Eastman's um, fur fishing game. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, those were the things that I, you know, really, really kind of was – you know, drawn to. And then as when I started getting, uh, you know, in high school, I, um, had a youth leader at my church, uh, that had lived out West, uh, for a time. 
uh, and did some welding on oil rigs out there. And when he came back home, he was continuously going out in the fall and hunting public land. And so uh, in 1991, he asked me if I wanted to go with him uh, to New Mexico. And I did at, uh, I guess that would have been 18 years old, 19 years old, 19 years old. So that was my first trip out there. And uh, had no idea where we were going. I relied on him, you know. He had all the paper maps. There was no internet or any of that, Google Earth or any of that. Yep. So he had all the paper maps. And, and honestly, to this day, he's still one of the best all-around outdoorsmen I've ever been around. The guy just, he just got it naturally, you know. Incredible trapper, incredible bow hunter, incredible fisherman, just and the hardest working guy ever. I mean, you know, he probably weighed the same thing I did, but his calves were like my thighs. I mean, he just was this, <laughs> this you know, physical specimen. And, uh, well, like me, right? But yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so, you know, I had to keep up with that guy the first time I went out there and it was, a. uh, a, a pretty big learning curve. I missed, uh, I missed three bulls in 14 days of hunting. Mm. Um, and I, I, one of those old huh? PSC fire flights or what was the, the going thing back then? Back then it was a, uh, high country sniper. Mm. Yeah. High country. Yep. That's not around anymore. I've seen a few of them though, I think. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was back in the day, man. That was, yeah, that was Lee jeans and, yeah, the whole deal. Did you blame so, it on the brass sites, or did you just own up to it? No, I mean, you know, it's wide open, and there's a, you know, seven hundred pound animal standing out there. I've been judging judging yardage on whitetails and hogs and stuff my entire life, mm-hmm. and you know, I'd look at it and go, "Oh, he's thirty, and I'd zing one at his feet, you know, and he was fifty. <laughs> so yeah. I just it took it took me a while to get that. You know, I'd never hunted in such open country. It had always been thick timber. And then I'd never hunted anything that big. So so the next, so that whole season, that whole off-season, I basically went around my uncle's cow pasture, and I shot his cows with rubber blunts. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> ju- I was judging, you know, trying to judge yardage, yardage out in the open pasture on yeah. those cows. And... Until I got caught because, <laughs> like, when we would come out to catch cows and work cows, they would literally run through the fences. I mean, they, they'd almost gotten feral, like wild cattle. They didn't like that redheaded guy, did they? They realized that I'd been out there for six months whacking them with a rubber blunt <laughs> with my bow. And uh, so I just figured I was tenderizing them a little bit, you know. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, that was an incredible advantage for me because the next year I went out there, I was, I was dialed, you know, mm-hmm. um, and just to put it in perspective, so in 91, I had no idea where I was going the first time and we went to 16A mm. in oh New Mexico. Gosh. I don't mind saying a unit cause anybody listening, you ain't going to draw it. Can't draw yeah, it. Good yeah. luck. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. So, so we applied again in 92 drew it again oh my goodness yep Man. and then did not draw it in 93 well in 93 he wanted to go moose hunting so he went moose hunting and i went out there by myself because he had swore me to secrecy 
So my second choice was B, where you guys went last year. So uh, that's when I did my walkabout and moved up like 20 miles from where I was supposed to be. <laughs> had to pay somebody to drive me back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> drive me back to the place I had no idea how to get to or where I was parked. <laughs> so that was 93. And then 94, we drew 16A again. Oh, my goodness. But three out of four years, we drew it. And then... 95 we uh i went by myself again and drew uh 15 and back then it was 15 a and b and i can't remember which one i Mm -hmm. went to but i think it was the north side but anyway so i mean i was drawing new mexico every year and then it started kind of petering out and i had to do a little more research to get some higher odd units Mm -hmm. um and that's when I started venturing over into like the 12s, the 13s, you know, the 34s, 36s, all that stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, 23s. Back then it wasn't 23, it was something else. But anyway, I mean, I, I've had the opportunity to hunt New Mexico quite a bit uh, over the last 19 years, I guess. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be right? 1991? You already okay. know I don't do math. That's no, 29. That's, that's, 29, that's 29 years, isn't it? <laughs> Yep. That's a long time, man. That gummit, Dang. dude. I was three. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Three with a mullet. That's yeah, right. I can hey. picture it. I can picture Actually it. did have a mullet. Yeah, you're right. Mm. We call okay. it a cowboy cut. We need to do a comparison. Oh, dude. Yep. I was a sharp little kid. I bet. Let me tell you. Let yep. me tell you. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I had hair down to my butt until I was seven or eight. My parents were hippies. And so I, I have no room to say anything. So, <laughs> well, everybody thought I was a girl till I was ten when I got my hair cut. Till you're ten, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, because my hair was so long. But anyway, till uh, you're forty, maybe. Yeah, till you're forty, maybe. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh. So in '96, I started hunting uh, Idaho and Colorado. Started hunting those states because I didn't draw. Um, New Mexico, and then somehow or another, it got to be to the point to where I was pretty much quitting my job, <laughs> putting my camper shell on my truck. My tag, my Alabama tag said Wapiti on it. That was my, my <laughs> mm, tag. Man. And nobody knew what it meant. So, um, Except for Mike and TK. <laughs> well, one of my buddies looked it up, and they and he said, well, it's a uh, an Indian term for, you know, white butt, white rump. So they thought that I had my tag meant, you know, white, you know. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So white butt, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, it meant elk. Ain't nobody in town knew about do that. But anyway. That's when you know another, the joke's got, good, when you're the only guy that gets it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's right. But so I started hunting like Idaho early season, and then I would come out and go to Colorado and hunt around that Meeker, Meeker area, uh, you know, for 10 days or so. And then I would go down to New Mexico and hunt. And um, mm. I'd pretty much stay gone for, you know, about five weeks. Uh, and I did that every year for a long time. And then as we started to have children, you know, Jackie was just asking that I start to take somebody with me. She didn't like the idea of me being by myself. Yeah. So that's when I started, you know, the struggles of having to carry somebody hunting with me. Yeah. 
We still haven't got the invite on that one yet, so <laughs> one day, <laughs> maybe one day, you know. We've had the invite and then it got pulled. You know, we were going to go to Alabama and then we didn't, so it's fine. <laughs> hey, I got a question. Who's fault for... was that? I uh, I don't know. I, okay, I guess it was Tyler. I don't know. Yeah, it was me. Okay, yeah. it was me. It was um, me. Hey, what? Yeah. So okay, here's my question though: Is did you do have you did you start putting in for sheet points anytime back then? Because you no, you and I have talked no. about the fact you're not really. You're not really that driven to do the sheep thing, but I was kind of hoping you had a bunch of points you could transfer over to me or something. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you know, I'll be honest with you. The the sheep hunting back then, the the public land sheep population wasn't what it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, the other side of that is is that um, same amount of know, tags available. <laughs> <laughs> right, pretty much. I mean, very little. Te- but but the other side of that, guys, is that you didn't really have the resources back then that you have now to know how many points it takes in this unit in this state. That stuff wasn't there. I mean, you were literally physically mailing in your request for topo maps and mailing in a handwritten check in a letter you know, for forest service maps and you were mailing in your, your draw applications. And, um, it was just a very, you know, you were kind of in the dark on everything, you know, I mean, there was no, heck there wasn't even even GPSs, you know, you're following a compass and a paper map. So, but anyway, it just, the other side of it is, I, I mean, I don't want this to sound bad, but you know, I looked into sheep hunting back then and it wasn't that expensive. Mm. So I thought, well, heck, that's just something I'll do one day. Um, <laughs> and then one day I looked and I thought, what in the heck happened? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, now I can't buy a new, I can't get, go get a new truck if I want to go sheep hunting because mm. it costs the same. Yep. It's like overnight it went from five grand to hunt sheep to 20. Mm-hmm. And I, really that's kind of how it, how it was. And I remember looking at a couple of hunts that I was going to do and I really got serious about it. And I was about to pull the trigger on one and I drew a New Mexico tag. Mm. And so I was like, well, heck, I can't pass that up. Yeah. You know, and it just never happened. Yeah. But now, as expensive as it is, I just, no matter what financial position I'm in, I don't know that I would ever be to a point to where. I could justify spending thirty or forty thousand dollars on a self-serving deal like that. You know, I just—I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. You know. Yeah, that's the—that's the thing. A lot of dudes are probably having to balance. That's one of those things, man. Like, since I was pretty little, sheep were like the coolest thing, man, to me. And I—I I just don't see myself, especially if this is the career path that I'm taking. like somebody's gonna have to offer me the hunt pretty much at this point you know well i mean if you stay on this path i mean you're gonna be looking at those sheep inside those pens in texas well i've already done that texas doll been there done that yeah those hundred hundred bucks hundred dollar a day deals yeah that's right so much three-legged mouflons down here pretty cheap man you know so (laughs) 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 oh man i wouldn't pay it i mean i just i can't I don't know. I guess I don't know if I'm a cheapskate or whatever, but it just doesn't seem 
Oh, we know it you just are. Seem right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know? but it's, uh, there's other reasons too. But so, I mean, it makes sense though because you could either go on one sheep hunt. You know, if you just want to weigh out the economics of it, how many elk hunts could you go on for that same sheep hunt? You know <laughs> what I mean? And you can't logistically do all those elk hunts, so you can do one quarter of them, and you get to hunt every day for the rest of your life. You know what I'm? You know what I'm saying? Like it's just if you find something you love to do. Just go pursue that, especially if it's that much cheaper. You know, that's that's kind of what the elk thing is, is it really is um, kind of the poor man's way to really go on a good mountain hunt and go experience that thing, you know? I mean, uh, I don't – you can't go chase them at 14, I don't think, and I'm okay with that. But otherwise, <laughs> you know, it's it's just pretty much hard to beat elk hunting for what all I've done. Um, do you feel – Oh, yeah. I mean, you've hunted mule deer and – uh, you know pronghorns and that kind of stuff i mean yeah do you feel like elk is kind of the epitome of hunting for you well i you know possibly i mean i've i've really gotten into uh really gotten into mule deer hunting um kind of again i, I got into it pretty heavy in the early 2000s and got pretty obsessive over finding big mule deer and i was in a lot better shape and uh, you know, it was super fun. And, um, and then as my, my boys got a little older, I kind of had to pull the reins in a little bit. And, you know, with a, a, a mule deer hunter, you've really got to dedicate some time if you're going to look for a good deer, you know? Yeah. And I just couldn't do those extended trips like I used to do. So, but now, you know, and so I elk hunted a lot, quick trips in and out. Um, I did a lot of, I would say in the early 2000s up until probably about 2012 or 13, I did a lot of uh, like hunts that I'd never done much before, like moose hunts and caribou hunts and things like that, uh, that, you know, you go through an outfitter somewhere up in Canada or somewhere and, you know, you have a certain amount of time and it's scheduled and those kind of hunts fit more into my life plan i guess if you will yeah mm-hmm. um because i could set up a time and set the business around it and make sure i wasn't missing something important as as far as like a milestone in the kids lives or um but now that they're you know grown and doing their thing you know i'm back to you know i spent i think 18 days no i spent 16 days in new mexico last year yeah, you were there before we got there and after we left. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, we but, I mean, purposely didn't answer your phone call on the way out of the state, you know? So, like, we know <laughs> you're there a long time. I know. Y'all didn't answer the phone because <laughs> I needed help packing a bull out by myself. <laughs> yeah, and y'all were like, oh, we have no service. We have no service. Of course, y'all are posting selfies of each other every 15 seconds <laughs> well that was an oxymoron bro you can't post a, post a selfie of each other then it's not a selfie anymore yeah uh, your old cripple buddy's trying to pack an elk out by itself yeah. and you guys are you know taking selfies and flipping your hair for instagram we're, we're sorry listen if we tag out early we're yeah. coming down to call for you and just pack all your animals this year all right to be ready oh yeah yeah, yeah. it's because y'all can just come it. cook Go come cook. Hey, I'll be down. Yeah. I bring a lot. Of, I meant to give you some peppers the other day, and I forgot to do that. But did you ever eat that salsa? I heard anything. You must not liked it. Oh, we wiped that out in about 30 minutes. That stuff was fantastic. Good, man. I'm glad you liked it. It, uh, Yeah, those little 
it's like a what a half pine or something like that you know it's pretty small but makes for oh, a good yeah. little roadie roadie so glad you liked oh, it yeah. um so just realistically how many bulls have you killed man there there is no upside to answering a question like that yeah <laughs> come on man i mean i really only, am only curious a downside well huh? give me a give High me low. Uh, over under 30 uh no i hadn't killed that many okay i've killed i've killed more than 10 less than 20 okay so yeah so you've killed more than most people that i've ever talked to um and yeah. I'm, I'm guessing from you know idaho all the way down to new mexico right uh-huh yeah yeah and so. then uh and now I've, i have shot quite a few cows yeah. uh i am a now these Bunker. are cow elk, right? <laughs> That's true. You got, with you, you got to oh, differentiate. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, cow elk. Um, yeah. I, I'm a I'm a sucker for elk meat. So when I start getting down to the wire, um, I'm definitely not a trophy hunter. You know, it's funny. I've hunted probably, arguably, one of the best elk units in the country. Uh, you know, uh, three times, mm-hmm. and hunted some of the better ones around it. You know, two or three times, and and I never went into those hunts with the intentions of passing on anything. <laughs> yeah, I didn't go in there like I'm going in for a 350 bull. Well, it's like you it's, said uh, back then that knowledge wasn't quite as as ready for everyone as it is now, right? I mean, you probably yeah you knew that those units were great, but like you probably didn't really know that hey this year it's a 370 plus unit, you know, because the moisture's good and stuff like that. You know, just I'm sure it was different. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, what's funny is, is I still don't really pay attention to it. Um, but so, uh, but I mean, I, you know, like I've gotten lucky in there that the first bulls by have been like, you know, 360, 370, you know, bulls and a bunch of 350s. And it's just luck because yeah. if a 250 would have came by first. I mean, that's what would have got. I mean, I shot a you know a two eighty bull last year, mm-hmm. you know, in a premier unit. I mean, um, you know, you say that, um, but for your average elk hunter, a two eighty is a big bull, man. I, I know that the it's got to be numbers, like a one thirty five whitetail. Yeah, it? You yeah. Know? I mean, a two seventy five or two seventy is a Pope and Young. I thought it was right? two sixty was Pope and Young. Nah, I don't think. So. I don't know. I might be wrong there, but I'll either check. way, I'll check. Like, I have no idea. A two eighty is like that's a decent six point normally you know or maybe a really big five either way yeah like if you go to like an otc unit that's a trophy pulling that thing off the mountain you know so it's like yeah elk hunting's a weird thing where these big numbers get thrown around a lot and whitetail's starting to get there too but you know elk it gets exponential real quick 260 260 hot dog um but well the guy that we had calling and filming last year you know he's done a lot of elk hunting yeah and uh, but he's younger like you guys and you know we're glassing up bulls and and there were these two bulls that kept hanging in this one little bowl every day. And they were probably like 200 inch bulls. Mm-hmm. And every day he had to talk me out of going over there and getting one of them jokers. <laughs> <laughs> Let's because, do it. <laughs> I mean, they were halfway down the mountain. They were bedding in the same little bowl every day, right off this flat creek bed that I could have walked that meat downhill out of flat creek bed about a mile to a road. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm all over that. That's a trophy to me. Is mm-hmm. how easy is it going to be for me to get it out of there? Yeah. So, 
<laughs> you know, I mean, he That's kept funny. talking me off the ledge of going and doing it. And uh, I was like, man, I, I just, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. I just, I love eating them. I love having them close. I love everything about them. I love the way they smell, all the sounds. I just like, I like everything about them, but I don't really care how big they are. And I don't know how I'm ever going to get to a point in my life like that. Cause I mean, if I come home from an elk hunt and don't have a cooler slap full of elk meat, I'm going to be in the penalty box when I get home. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was last year. Don't worry. I understand. <laughs> Dude, I know a guy that yeah. won't go elk hunting because he hate, He says it's way too much work. He's a, he's a mule deer hunting fool, man. That's what he wants to do. Because you can put the whole thing on your back and go. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a big old dude, you know, but he's like, I'm just not into doing the elk things. Too much work. Mm. So. Well, it's a lot of work. I mean, that's probably what I love the most about it. You know what? I'm not in this. I'm not in the same physical condition and, and the abilities that I was for most of my elk hunting career. And, you know, and that's one thing that I think instead of doing all this BS and that people probably would love to hear is how to come east come from the east you know to uh a western hunt and and be efficient and one of the things i would say is is that you know after i had you know i had a, a building collapse on me in 2013 and I couldn't walk for a long time and had to really work hard at building myself back up after that and one of the things that i, I learned after that is and I guess I always did it to a degree being an Eastern guy coming West is that, you know, the straight line is not always the best path when you're elk hunting or hunting in the mountains. And so, you know, I plan my paths based on elevation and the amount of gain and loss. And so I know now that it, while most guys that live out West have the ability to just to go in a straight line, Guys like us that don't live in that environment and our bodies are not acclimated to handling the, the, the climbs and the you know descents, the thin air, we have to approach things a little different. So I do a lot of side hilling. I do a lot of ridge top walking. I may walk around a bowl on the ridge and it may be a mile longer and it may take me an hour longer to do it. But if I try to drop in a basin and go straight up the other side, the next day my legs are completely frogged out and I'm worthless. Mm -hmm. yep. And so, you know, trying to listen to all these Western podcasts about how they do these things and, you know, how far they're walking in and packing into these wilderness areas. We, we can't do that if we don't live out there and we don't go out there and, and, you know, prepare our bodies for it by physically doing it. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. a big, it's a big difference. And so I think that's super important is to have people understand how to read topo maps and understand that if you'll stay on these, on these elevation lines and, and side hill more than up and down, you're going to be stronger, longer. You're going to be able to do what you need to do for seven days instead of burning out the first two and then losing day three and four trying to recover and then getting yourself back going again. You know, you've got to preserve your body. So that's one thing I think is super important. 
Um, let's well, let's expand on that a little bit and kind of send it into yeah. the hunting strategy because I get what you're saying, and you know, falling eleva- elevation line, you know, bar none is the way to save your legs. So if if you got weight on your back for sure, but um, it's hard to do that and actually hunt elk effectively because elk move up and down these elevation lines. So how do you mix that into your hunting strategy? You know, walking ridge tops and and that sort of thing. Well. I hear what you're saying, but, but elk are usually coming up during the day mm-hmm. and they're usually dropping down in the evenings. Mm-hmm. Um, they're usually, you know, they're usually pushing up into a, you know, into a little basin or a canyon or a draw during the day. And then they're usually coming out. Once you figure out what these elk are doing, um, you know, you want to try to start at the elevation that you think you're going to be hunting these bulls. So like my philosophy is, is dropping elevation is the last resort. I mean, it's, it is everything before you decide to drop elevation. I don't drop unless I have to. And if I do drop elevation and I'm going to go way down somewhere, I'm going down because I know I'm going to go there and kill one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't just go walking to be walking. I don't go down there to look and see where they went, see what they're doing. I want to know what they're doing. I want to know where they're going, know where they're coming out, you know, and it's a, it's a strategy thing. I mean, there's been many a bulls that I've killed that I've seen literally within the first 15 or 20 minutes of daylight disappearing. And then once they disappeared, I've moved to a point that I am pretty sure is going to be somewhere they're going to come out in the evening. And I'll literally will sit, sit there all day and wait for that. And the other thing that, the other thing that the Western guys are really obsessive about is the thermals Mm -hmm. and how the thermals will change. And they'll, you know, bring your, you know, bring your scent up and down based on the thermals. And it's, you know, basically cold air is heavy and warm air is light. It's an easy way to think of it. So as the day warms up, the thermals start pulling uphill and vice versa when it's cooling down, but it seems like most Western guys that I've hunted with, it's, it's all thermals. It's all or nothing thermals. It's, you know, that's all they're hunting. And they almost seem to forget that there's a wind direction too. And so, and this is kind of the same way that I whitetail hunt. I'm never a, a downwind guy. Like, I don't set up downwind. Mm-hmm. I set up parallel winds. Because mm-hmm. if you're setting up downwind, you're setting up where the animals are coming from. So, with regards to western hunting and thermals, you know, guys are, are setting up for the, you know, the rise and the fall, basically, of those thermals. But they're really discrediting or discounting the fact that you've got a, a hard west wind or an east wind or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. In relationship to those thermals, it's not going to go straight up and straight down. So, yes, while you may have, you know, elk bedded up this canyon on this northwest facing slope, you know, if you've if you've got a um, a wind that's blowing, you know, basically across that canyon, and you've got thermals while your scent may be going up that draw they're in the wind is going to be pulling it to the other side. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And and that's one of the things you want to do is 
you know, still play the wind and set up to where you think these animals are going to be, stay back. And then once you start hearing a move, because you're going to hear them, they make so much noise. Once they start to move, then you, as they get closer, you can start getting closer to this ambush point. But you're you basically using a parallel wind, if you will. The thermals may be going up towards where they're going, but the wind is drifting it off to the other side of the canyon or the basin. Yeah, makes so, sense. Yeah, and that that's super important. Um, and that's you know, I feel like all Eastern guys seem to do a little better job at that uh, yeah. than the Western guys do because we're usually just wind, you know, predominant wind factor, not thermals, but. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then the other thing is the, you know, the craze of, you know, the $800 backpack and the $400 boots and the two pound tent and cutting ounces and all this jazz to get down to a, you know, 40, 50 pound pack and then go seven, eight miles into a wilderness area for, for an Eastern guy, for the, for the majority of Eastern guys, that's the kiss of death. Yeah. Oh, we did um, it last year and, uh, oh, y'all, yeah, know. you know, did it, but it was terrible. You know, and we had, awesome. we had camera gear and stuff too, so we had very heavy packs, but, you know, we worked out real hard last summer. But, you know, looking back, it's like, man, without pack animals, like, don't subject yourself to something that stupid. You know, it's just, it, it ain't worth it. No, and I mean, the thing is, is that, that, you can't control the weather. Mm-hmm. And if you're back there six or seven miles and you shoot a bull and it's 80 degrees, you're going to lose a lot of meat, if not all of it. Mm-hmm. You physically can't get it out. So, you know, my recommendation is, is if you want to do a wilderness hunt, that's great. You better have a packer lined up. Yeah. I mean, that should be your number one priority is finding a packer and have somebody reliable that's going to answer the phone. Hey, hey, expand on what a packer is just a little bit. Well, just somebody that's got a pack string, you know, of horses and mules. Uh-huh. Um, somebody that's going to come in there and, you know, a lot of these guys, you can pay them 500 or or 1000 bucks to take you in and bring you out. And then if you're going to walk in, that's fine, but you can have something set up to with, with them where they'll, you know, for 500 bucks, they'll bring up, you know, a couple of mules and a couple of horses in there and get all your crap, load your elk up and haul it out of there. Um you know, that's honestly, truthfully, that's really the only way that most Eastern guys can do it effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I've, I've always done a kind of a mix of that style hunting. I've done a lot of wilderness hunting in certain units that I know are really good. But when I do that, I'm 100% utilizing a packer services. And then, but the other side, of my hunting for elk has been, you know, park at a trailhead or side of the road and you're hunting elk within a mile, mile and a half, two at the most from the pickup. Yeah. And you're coming out. That's what most of mine has been too. It all, except for last year, it's always been truck camping. And then you wake up early in the morning and drive to your, you know, hunting area for the day or at least the morning, you know? And if you're, if you've got some legs under you and you and you can make it a little ways off in there, you know, you're, you're getting past the ATV guys and stuff, it's it's pretty effective or can be, you know? I mean, I've killed more bulls hunting, you know, day hunting from a pickup than I have on wilderness hunts. Mm-hmm. And I would say that my 
wilderness hunts to pickup hunts are probably commensurate with each other as far as the number of hunts Mm -hmm. that way. And uh, I've been definitely more successful. And and the thing is, is that you're more mobile. You, you know, an elk can cover five miles, you know, in the time for you to go, crap, I bumped them, they're gone. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're strictly restricted to foot travel, you can't do that. Um, you go into a wilderness area and even if you do use a packer and you go get dropped in and if you're there two or three days and there's no fresh elk sign, you got to pop smoke and get out of there. Yeah. But guys will just go sit in these places where people drop them or where they've hiked into and they're pot committed on one spot. And that's never going to work for elk. You've got to be extremely mobile and, you know, have all of these different, um, plans in place you know three four five plans to where you know you just keep moving until you get in them yeah and uh that that's really the only way to do it and it's only because an elk can move so far so fast it's nothing to them you know they may find something sweeter in one basin that's two miles away than where you are and if you don't have the ability to relocate you'll never know that you're Close, but not close enough, you know? Mm-hmm. Hey, something that people don't talk about very often, and I've always kind of wondered, is uh, people talk about getting into the elk, and you know when you're in them, and, you know, oh, you know, we found them, we're in there. Um, there's got to be some sort of an art to hunting elk for four or five days and not bumping that herd out and sending them on their way. Do you feel like it's always just a ticking time bomb, or is there really something strategic that you can do to make sure that you just stay on the same herd and you know don't bump them two drainages over? Well, that that has a lot. There's there's a lot of variables there. That's a super subjective question because that's what we ask on podcasts. You know, (laughs) if we ask cut and dry questions, you get short answers. But you know, well, (laughs) yeah. So one answer to that is 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 yes. Uh, if you plan on being in one spot and you don't have the ability to reloc- relocate, you really need to let the elk come to you. Um, you don't want to push up into the dark timber where they're where they're bedding or, you know, during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's super important. But if you have the ability to be mobile and you have a short window to hunt, um, I mean, you don't have the luxury of sitting back and waiting for them to come to you and get that perfect ambush. Uh, so, you know, that's that's super important is to, to kind of know what your different scenario is. Mm-hmm. Um, How do you uh, set up camp to that? That's I think that's really what I'm getting at. Like, mm-hmm. you know, say, for instance, well, let's just take our situation because, I mean, I'm being selfish with the question. Yeah. You, you know where we're going this year. It's a place that you kind of pointed us to. Yeah. Uh, we're we're yeah. putting some trust in you. You didn't lead us astray last year. You know, I've got yeah. some honey I mean, holes. But... Listen, you can tell the people it's in New Jersey. I've killed a lot of bulls yeah, there. Yeah, man, and, and um, seek a deer up yeah. there. But, salt um, flats. Yeah, salt flats. But, um, you know, I've always done the truck thing pretty much, you know, and, and yeah. you're definitely nowhere near the elk that you're hunting. Well, if you go in with stuff on your back and you go in a few miles or whatever it is, um, you want to set up where they're within striking distance, but you also want to set up to where you're not bumping elk that are, right. you know, rutting rut fest in your camp all night. You know what I mean? So how yeah, do you figure so that out? If you're not prepared to walk a mile every morning, don't go elk hunting. Mm-hmm. There's, there's really nothing else to say. 
if, if, if you're going to let laziness push you to where you're going to camp, where you can hear them from your tent and you're right in the middle of them, just don't go elk hunting. Just keep whitetail hunting. You, you, you want to, you want to have to, you know, you want to be close to them, but a mile is close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you want to be a mile in a direction, you know, they're not coming in the evenings. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you, you, you want them going away from you at night. So wherever you start in the morning, they're coming back to you. Does that make sense? So yes. what are, what are some examples of terrain or habitat that you could assume they would not be going towards at night? Uh, well, basically where a lot of other people are camping, okay. uh, main roads, uh, things of that nature. I mean, it's, um, you know, there's, there's lots of places they're going to go. If you're, if you're basically setting up on a ridge line at daylight and you're, and you're looking down into a basin or multiple basins, cause you know, that's where elk are going at night. Odds are that they're going down to where, where there's feed and water. Well, if there's no water on the other side of that ridge, that's where you want to camp. They're not, they're not going to walk 10 miles across somewhere there's no water when there's water a mile on the other side of the ridge. Gotcha. And those are, that's, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, but in there lies the problem. Uh, being humans, we also require H2O. You know, So I guess you have to find a way to balance your need for water with where well, the elk are. Yeah, again, you're talking about if you're talking about backpack hunting, yeah, I mean, there's a difference in how we source water versus an elk. Mm-hmm. I mean, all we need is a trickle. Yeah. You when, know, when you're talking elk waters, they're, they're you're talking about tanks go, and, and big yeah, streams. Yeah, they're wanting to go do, yeah, half gainers and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, on that deal, um, I've seen, you know, evidence of elk using water quite a bit. Um, you never really see them tearing up streams too much you know do you have you seen elk water out of a stream or is it always still water no i have i've seen them water out of out of streams and it was so one of the places i showed you guys kind of that northwest portion up there Mm -hmm. um there's a there's a canyon and a stream that runs up one of those valleys there and it's live water it's not like a big creek but it's just a pretty steady little trickle and some years, I've gone up that drainage, and elk have made wallows in the creek hmm. three or four times. You know, three or four different wallows going up that creek. Hmm. And then some years, <clears throat> nothing. It's the weirdest thing. It's I, you know, you just never know. But um, I don't know. They they seem to like. I mean, I know they'll definitely drink out of out of live water, but yeah, uh, they seem to like those tanks. And I think the the tanks are a social aspect as well. Mm-hmm. So I think they're, you know, they're bailing off of that thing and flopping around and slinging mud and having a big time. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. same stuff you do in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Water around in mud, you know, um, <laughs> <That's it. laughs> so, you know, earlier you were kind of talking about the Westies strategy versus like what an Eastern guy does. Um, yeah. another thing you see with some of the big popular YouTube guys is, uh, put camp on your back and go and wherever you end up, stop um that seems super counterintuitive to me but i'm i'm no westy so do you when you're talking about if you're doing a backpack thing are you 100 percent of the time having like a base camp you go back to every evening well i do now yeah um but i used to not do that but so let's say that 
that if you're going to do that, which you're, it's super effective, but what you've got to do is... Which one? Which one's super effective? The, having your camp on your back. Okay. No, I, I, that used to be, I, I love to hunt that way. I just can't physically do it anymore. Yeah. So, but if you're going to do it, this is what's super important. You want to parallel, you basically want to create a triangle, okay? And your pickup is the point of your triangle. So you want to, you know, basically angle away and you want to say, find a, a trailhead or a parking spot to where you're in the center of a range that you're going to hunt. Okay. So let's say that, that the other, the flat side of that triangle opposite of the point is going to be a huge ridge that's running north and south. It's, it's, you know, a series of, of mountains and ridges, you know, that that range is going to run, you know, up and down below tree line. And you've got basically all of this hunting between where you've parked and that, in that range. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you basically want to angle, say angle South and intersect it, climb up. And you want to basically parallel where you're hunting and work your way North or South and then be able to, you know, triangulate back to your truck. So you're paralleling where you parked. So what you're doing is you're hunting between those areas. You don't want to just take a path away from your truck and just start walking away, walking away, walking away. Because then what are you going to do if you whack one, you know, 10 miles away? It makes zero sense. You've got to have a plan Mm -hmm. of what you're doing. And where you park your vehicle is just as important as part of that plan as to where you're going to find elk, possibly. Mm -hmm. So... You know, that's, that is a super effective way, you know, to do it. And, and, um, and it, of course, used to be a big part of my arsenal. It's just not anymore. Yeah. Um, but the good thing is, is, you know, I'm not hunting the same places I used to hunt, mm-hmm. you know, are I, you, I can, I'm hunting places that are more road accessible now, you know, to make that, uh, feasible. Are you kind of planning for three day loops? That way you don't have to have a ton of stuff on your back. Well, I did just because of my, you know, being from the East and physical limitations, mm-hmm. there's guys that can do as much as you want to carry. Yeah. Um, but for me, that's kind of what it was. It was, a uh, a three-day comfortable loop, four-day if you got in them and you're just going to tough it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a super effective way to hunt. But again, at no time was I ever more than three or four miles from the truck. So, you know, uh, by design, once I kind of figured out what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, the early days, I did some pretty bonehead crap, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'd follow elk and follow elk and then at that point figure out, you know, how to get back. Yeah. I didn't really care back then. Well, you know? That's when you find somebody down in town to drive you around 60 miles and take you back. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I've but, done that many times. Gosh. I mean, in hell, half the time I didn't even know how to tell them where to go, where I was left my truck. Yeah. Yeah. Know? So. You're down in, yeah, Ch- I mean, in Chihuahua, and you're like, I need to get back to Del Rio, guys. How do you, you know, yeah. how do you get there? <laughs> yeah, but no, that is a super effective way to do it, but you've got to you know, create kind of a triangle and parallel with the, where the point is, where mm-hmm. your truck is. So you know something, just I, something I do when I look at maps, and I want you to tell me if I'm dumb or – well, in relation to this, you've already told me I'm dumb. <laughs> okay. but, um, uh, I've got this thing in my head 
that north-facing slopes are the place. So when I look at maps, I just kind of ride off south-facing, um, you know, big mountain ranges. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I always just think that the north side of that range is where the elk are, and on the south side, it's just going to be not good hunting. Is that effective, or am I shooting myself in the foot because a lot of guys are thinking the same thing, and the elk, by pressure, get pushed to the south side? Man, again, that's incredibly subjective. Um, I like long answers, Brian. Come on. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So with regards to the north-facing slopes, it's really, you know, that's really going to kind of coincide with where you're hunting and what type of, of country it is. So like the area I was hunting in last year, there's not a lot of like super deep, um, you know, super deep canyons and dark, you know, tall timber for them to jump into and get in that cool timber. So, I mean, like those two little raghorns that I wanted to get so bad this, this past year, you know, they were, they were literally, you know, betting, um, on a straight South facing slope, uh, every day, just out in the wide, wide open. And they'd, move around and get under a couple little trees, get them some shade, but they didn't really have, you know, those elk just didn't have those places to go. Um, but you get over to where you guys were hunting and there's some pretty good topography there and there's mm-hmm. some pretty good little, um, draws that they can get up in. And I marked some of them for you guys mm-hmm. where I've seen them going in bed. And my gosh, when you, when you get into a really good, northwest facing you know steep steep slope that's got good timber on it i mean you can feel the the temperature drop 10 12 degrees when you come around you know come around the mountain and you ease into those areas it is noticeably cooler um you know that's where you'd want to hang meat if you had a bull down you know Mm -hmm. so i mean once you learn to identify these places uh in certain areas man that's a home run in other areas it just doesn't matter i'd say that the starting point for me is always going to be you know peg all the water you want to peg all the water everywhere around you want to you want to peg it and you want to basically x out all these areas that just don't have good water sources on and then from that you want to kind of go in and say, okay, are there any really deep canyons that have some really steep, good timbered, you know, Northwest facing slopes on them that, you know, these, these elk are going to push up into. And, you know, if you've got a half dozen spots like that pinned, and then you've got some water pinned, if there's elk there, you're going to figure out super quick where they're coming and going from, you know, these things are not rabbits. They're not, they can't hide very easy. Yeah. You know, so even if it's super thick timber, they're going to leave a lot of sign. You're going to smell them mm-hmm. like crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of how I do it is water first, then cover, and then try to figure out the to and from and when they're doing it. Gotcha. And that's it. Okay. You know? So l- l- let me, let me ask you this. You're not, from what I understand, you're not necessarily a big caller. You like to get between the elk and kind of just, you know, assassinate them as they walk by. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of guys that are trying to call elk in, especially in September, right? 
and yeah. you're the heavy arrow guy. How how do you shoot a frontal shot? Have you ever shot one, and and what's the best way to do that? Uh, well, uh, a frontal shot to me is probably, if not the best, one of the best shots on an elk if you've got the right setup. Um, and by the right setup, I mean you got a you know, properly tuned bow, you got great air flight, you've got a super durable, you know, head, uh, cut on contact head and a heavy arrow. Because you can make the frontal shot with without that. Um, it's it's just a lot smaller window to thread through. And if you mess up a little bit, you still want to have those other things in your favor to help you get on through. I'll tell you that, you know, I like basically, if you're looking at an elk facing you, if you could pick center, center, like the center of his chest, top to bottom, and then just shift right or left, depending on which angle he's facing you, um, that is the the shot I like to take. Now, a lot of that's going to depend on the animal's elevation in relationship to you. So... You know, if he's below you, you want to have a higher point of impact. If he's above you, you want to have a lower point of impact. What you're trying to do is, is you're trying to, you're not trying to shoot him in the heart. You're trying to shoot the top of the arteries off the heart, mm-hmm. yeah. where all those big vessels are coming out of the lungs, dropping into the top of the heart. And if you can do that and shoot through the, those, you know, big arteries that are going into the top of the heart and then go through the lungs. I mean, they. I've never had a frontal run out of sight. Mm. I've never had a frontal shot bull leave my sight. Wow. Um, so it's it's so super effective. But again, I don't call now the way I probably used to. You know, I think we've established twenty nine years ago uh, when I thought it was nineteen. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't, Slipping. I don't probably, yeah, <laughs> I probably don't call as much as I used to, which I know is kind of counterintuitive because calling has gotten so popular, but that's probably why I don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, all I hear whenever I'm hunting is just guys blowing on their horns mm-hmm. and that's all the elk here. You know, and so again, that's going to be depending depending on where you're hunting. Some areas you could get get away with it, and you know, we did a lot of calling last year because the guys I hunted with loved to call, and it was super effective. I mean, we called a bunch of bulls in and all, but man, for me, if I would have been by myself, it wouldn't have lasted very long. Well, once you're by yourself, it didn't last very long. That's why well, we, I didn't. I mean, that's why I we want, left. You know, we knew you were about yeah, to kill. Well, well, no, I'm not saying that. I mean, it's, I'm not. I'm not saying they were. I didn't want it to come across that way. They no, were I know. I know. Your, was, your strategy was, been different. It was different, yeah. Because I mean, like there were many times where I saw bulls, you know, go into a certain area, and I felt, man, I can get in there and kill that bull. But instead, we were setting up and calling, and sometimes we called them out, and sometimes we didn't. And, Sometimes other bulls came that we never had no clue they were there, but that's a special place. You know, that's a place that, that you're going to have opportunities to call bulls in for the most part, where most guys that are listening to this are going to go, 
you know, you're not going to have the success blowing on those horns like these guys do. Um, Unless you're willing to cover a crap ton of country and find that one bull. But, you know, why do you want to walk past 10 to find one? Yeah. And it, 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 again, it's, it's all dependent. I mean, if you're in super thick cover and you can't glass and you can't find them, man, you really don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. I choose not to hunt those places. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you find yourself there, I mean, you, you pretty much got to do it. Um, but anymore, really what I do more than anything is probably roll rocks and rake trees. That's really, that's my calling strategy. I love it. Sounds like fun too, you know? It's like just caveman and out in the middle of mountains, you know? Like a strongman contest, you know, rolling those, you know, 80 stone boulders or whatever it is. But did you just um, weigh something in stones? (laughs) What? Have you never watched those strongman contests? Yeah, but I mean, come on. Okay. Read a book, dude. So um, you just reference watching TV. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I did. Uh, ESPN the Ocho, right? That's right. Yeah. So um, no, I mean that's really been super effective. Is um, raking trees uh, and and you know rolling rocks and stuff to make this you know sounds that are typical of what the elk are doing when they're kind of bebopping along and then. Cow calling to me um, is super effective as long as it's not overdone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had a real lot quick of, talk I've about overdone. Like, is that is that like a lot of times, or is that like you know when you go to make a sequence, you hit like four or five as opposed to hitting one or two? Uh, both, yes. Um, so, like, there's a lot of these hyper estrus thingy doodles that people are doing and the, you know, these crazy cow calling sequences and they can 100% work. I mean, I've heard all of those things in some of the most heavily pressured Colorado public land that you could possibly imagine. I've heard these elk do these estrus balls and all this different stuff, but it's one out of a hundred days you know what i mean mm-hmm. it, it, it can happen but more often than not it's a chirp and then it's a little cow chirp and then i mean then a, a calf chirp i mean it's you know a couple of cows and a calf or something that are just very faintly communicating each other as they're you know working through an area or feeding or whatever that's what you hear more than anything um you know, you hear these bulls bugle all night long, and as soon as the sun starts to crack, it gets less and less, and it's pretty much quiet, you know. So for you to be, you know, blowing bugles at eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning, it's just not what they're doing, mm-hmm. you know, in most of these places that guys are going to hunt public land. So, um, and that does bring up another point. I spend a lot of time... Uh, at night uh, up and on my feet Um, because if you're really struggling to find elk if they are going to be vocal they're going to be doing it at night and you know if you can get a a a west wind and and you can get up high and walk a ridge one night and just just walk north or south and just listen to the west if you think there's elk down there and there's water 
that wind and that you know night air is going to carry those bugles. You're going to be able to hear those elk. And so while you may not be in them, if you spend time at night covering ground, you can find them. At least find out where they're where they are, mm-hmm. where you can pick up and move and get to where the elk are. Because you know if you're in a spot and there's not elk there, there's not fresh sign. You're just rolling the dice and just praying and hoping that somebody else is going to push elk to you. And that's not being an effective elk hunter. Yeah. Um, So I spent a lot of time or used to spend a lot of time at night, you know, covering ground. And it's, I'm trying to give, you know, insight from experiences from the, you know, longer ago than what kind of what I do currently, because I'm hunting different places now. You yeah. know, I don't, I'm not hunting places that, that, you know, I really have to work as hard as I used to. Yeah. Um, and that's just the natural progression of a, of a hunter, you know, but, um, but those times back then, like where you guys, where I sent y'all in there last year, that trail that would run, basically straight west of where y'all had those encounters mm-hmm. you know that trail kind of popped up on that ridge and it was west of where y'all were and then yep. it kind of ran, went off to the northwest there were many nights that i would walk you know two three four miles headed up to the northwest back up towards the road kind of walking that trail listening trying to figure out where the you know where the elk were at night you know and then just market it Mm-hmm. And uh, and then figuring out how to you know get up there the next day, and set up and figure out where they're coming and going. Yeah. And well, okay, so explain that strategy a little bit. Are you leaving camp, walking around real light, and then going back to camp and getting in bed? Yes. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not ever going to set up camp in the dark. Yeah, that's something I don't ever want to do. That's a so last resort. It's not that you're getting up early and going and finding them, and staying on them. You're actually sleeping in two shifts that night well like a so if i'm not on elk i'm not gonna be scouting during the middle of the day because mm-hmm. the, they're not moving they're not doing anything mm-hmm. so i sleep during the middle of the day and so you know if i'm gonna relocate you know i'll pack up that afternoon after i've slept you know till two or three o'clock pack things up and start working a new direction and get set up before dark, have dinner. And then when it gets dark, say, okay, I'm going to walk three miles up this trail and I'm going to turn and come back. And there's been times where I've walked for hours up a trail, didn't hear anything. And on the way back, heard them. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they decided to fire up at, you know, 11, 12, one o'clock in the morning or whatever. So do you ever play your flute at night like that to see if you can, you know, pop one off? Yeah, I don't have a problem blowing a bugle at night, um, especially if, if, if the elk are naturally already doing it, you know? Yeah. Um, but what I don't want to do is blow a bugle from my camp. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to have elk come to where I'm camped, uh, you know, looking for what they've heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's been many times where I've set up camp in the blind, you know, right before dark, and then taken a walk and then come back. And when I get back to camp, there's elk all around my camp. I just didn't know, you know. <laughs> yeah. You just you don't know. I mean, you're not going to get it right every time. Yeah. Let me. You know, you're going to screw up. Let me ask you this: You're talking to a guy who's who doesn't sleep well sometimes. Um, 
do you take like Tylenol PM or anything like that in there with you to help you sleep in the middle of the day or Benadryl or something like that? Man, I'll be honest with you. I don't sleep at all. Um, like when I'm at home, it, it sleep is just not part of my life. It sucks. Um, but it's just how I'm built. When I get out there and Lord willing, I have no cell service, which is, you know, my dream scenario. <laughs> um, when I get out there, I am so relaxed. Uh, I just don't have trouble sleeping. And then, you know, if I want to lay down on a hillside with the sun on my face, I, I mean, I can, I can do it. I can man, sleep. I've struggled. Day. I've struggled in the I, midday naps, man. Oh, not me, man. I, I love it. It's probably where I sleep the best is, is, uh, um, in a tree stand when the sun hits me or on the side of the hill. <laughs> I have never uh, fallen asleep in a tree stand. Oh man. man, I've taken some good naps in a tree stand. <laughs> oh, I've taken I've taken some great dives. Been asleep halfway to the bottom. Um, but but I, I guarantee you, I sleep hard enough on the side of those mountains that I could be half eaten by a bear before I woke up. <laughs> I mean, it's that it's that bad. But uh, no, I mean. If if you're in elk, I mean, there's there's no reason to be pushing them pushing them out of where you're at if you've got plenty of days to hunt them, and so there's no reason to to force the issue. So sleep during the middle of the day, you know, hunt your hunt your prime times. If you're not in them, you know, cover some ground at night. Uh, I'm telling you, man, the night thing. If I had to say there was one thing that has led to killing bulls consistently is, is covering ground at night and finding where the elk are. Cause that's, I mean, once you find them, they're not like the hardest things in the world to get within bow range of. Mm-hmm. So, you know? well, okay, let's take that and convert it into killing one. You find them okay. at night and your, your move is, okay, I'm going to find what's up from there and go get in that spot. Well, you know, it's, it's just, it's just like whitetail hunting. And I think this is where Eastern guys have an advantage. Okay. So it's just like whitetail hunting. So you're sitting on a ridge, you know, that you're, you're hearing elk bugle a a mile, say West of you. And you're looking on your map and you're going, Oh my gosh, there's a big tank down there in a meadow above, above it. Well, you can look at your map. And just like whitetails, you're like, okay, well, I've seen this deer here twice. Well, I know for sure he's not bedding in the middle of that cow pasture, so I can mark that off. Well, I know for sure he's not bedding over here. There's no cover, so I can mark that off. So you basically are eliminating, you know, all these places that you know that they really can't go during the day. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing with elk. You're like, okay, well, they're down there at that water now. They're in that meadow. Now you start doing your process of elimination. You know, you're eliminating the places that that they can't go, and then that's leaving you with the options that they can. You know, and that's going to be um, – oh, I'm a little distracted. There's this tree frog, and he is straight wrecking some flies on my window here. <laughs> that's cool. Um, so uh, so you're eliminating the places that you know they can't go, and that's going to leave your options – and if you're sitting up there when the sun comes up, 
odds are you're going to see them going back into where they're going. And then once you see that, you know, you've got an idea of, of what they're doing. And so, I so found how often the, do you kill them the next morning as opposed to that evening? Um, very rarely the next morning because you really don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and the key is to put eyes on them. Is that is that the thing? See, I've never hunted where I see the elk first. I always hear them or smell them and then yeah. figure it out from there. And, and it sounds like you're really putting eyes on where they're headed a lot of times. Well, I may, I may not be putting eyes on them. What I may be doing is hearing them. Mm-hmm. So it may be it may be too dense for me not to see them, but if I can hear them at daylight going up in a canyon, I, I know where they're going. You know, I mean, it's just the process of elimination. It's so rare that you're going to kill one in the morning getting ahead of them the first time because they walk at the rate we trot. Mm-hmm. You know, we jog how at the speed they feed. You're not going to catch them and get ahead of them. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, but in the evenings, you know where they're headed, where you think you know where they're headed. Um, they can always, of course, fool you and just pop out the top of a canyon and go straight up a cliff and up and over, and they're out of your life. That happens more often than not. But <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. you have an idea that, hey, if they do the same thing they did last night, then they got to come down through here. And I remember the, the one of the biggest bulls I've ever killed um, I've never actually had him scored, but I, I know he's probably close to 380. And that was a a New Mexico bull that would have been in 1994 or five. I can't remember, but but I was uh, struggling. I mean, I'd struggled for the first four or five days and hadn't really gotten on the elk, you know, and uh, which super frustrating. So um, I picked out these two. Uh, tanks that I had walked by during the day and could tell there was some fresh elk activity around them, but didn't really know where they were coming from. You know, couldn't figure it out. A lot of options, you know. So, so I, you know, ate dinner that night and then I hopped in the truck and I rode about, you know, four or five miles down to where these areas were and I parked and I walked out through these meadows in the middle of the night. And um, man, they were there. I mean, the elk were in those meadows and I just stayed downwind and just kind of sat with them all night and dozed off and, you know, just kind of stayed there all night and just kind of shadowed them. And then as the sun started to come up, you know, they were already out of the, they were already out of that big meadow. And this meadow was probably, you know, gosh, it was probably two miles wide, maybe three or four miles long. It was big. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> But I figured out where they were going, and they went up into this canyon that I never would have dreamed. It just wasn't anything that really would stand out to you is where they were headed. But what they were doing is they were going up this little slight draw, and then they were popping over the backside into this just nothing little canyon that was just this perfect little hidey hole. And so that afternoon, you know, I set up, and they did exactly what they were supposed to do. Set up in the canyon? I set up in the little the little draw, you know, that they were using to go in and out. Uh-huh. And I set up in there, and um, you know, I waited until, you know, it was temperature dropping and the thermals were starting to pull down the canyon before I eased up in there. So I mean, you know, you're talking about 
seven o'clock at night, you know, it's getting dark at what, eight thirty or so. Mm-hmm. You're talking about seven o'clock at night, not even going and getting into position Ooh, until then. It feels that feels scary. Yeah, it does. Well, you know, but but you got to realize. I mean, you go up in there at five, and the thermals are still going up that draw. You, you know, you uh-huh. burned it. Yeah, they're not coming sense. down it. So you're just sitting there waiting, and then, you know, coming around the point and going up in there. And so this went on for seven days. For seven days, I only afternoon hunted them. Mm. And for seven days, that bull brought this herd of cows and small bulls down this draw. And he picked a different trail. And so I'd be on one side and they'd come down the other and vice versa. So on the seventh day, I finally, finally killed him. Um, But it was seven days straight of the elk doing the exact same thing and I couldn't kill him. Man, so yeah, you're just you're just getting the so you're just allowing the thermal to take your wind away from the one trail on one side or another of a canyon like that, and just waiting. That's and right. you're letting you to, how many elk? To, you have to play it. Yeah, the elk are just walking by you until all of a sudden there's a giant bull and you just broadside him right there. Oh yeah, and this guy was you know this bull was screaming. He was screaming, coming out every night in the last 30 minutes before dark. Yeah. And that's the only time he'd make a sound. It wouldn't make a peep. Uh, but the last 30 minutes, it was like low, low light. He'd start screaming. And so based on what the wind was doing and the thermals, I'd get on this side of the canyon or that side of the canyon. There was many a time where I was like, man, I really want to hunt that trail, but I just can't do it. I'm going to burn it. And every evening they came out and they would be, you know, 100, 150 yards on the other side from here, this or that. And then finally, um, I got it to where it was just coming straight down the draw the seventh day. And I put my butt slap dab right in the middle of the middle trail. But I was 50 to one trail and about 75 to the other. But I knew if they came down the other, I would know soon enough and I could work my way closer, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they came down that 50 trail, you know, and I was parallel with them. And I was getting really nervous because probably about a dozen cows had passed me on that trail at 50. And they started filtering down into the bottom, like coming off the side of the hill, you know, the, the side of the canyon and dropping into the bottom where I was. And I knew at any minute that one of them was going to catch my scent and bark, you mm-hmm. know, because it just drifted right down the middle. And I, I probably, I guarantee I was within a minute or two of one of them catching me when the bull came down the trail. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had, you know, I had set up in there a few times and I had walked off, you know, from that trail to where I thought, you know, where I was set up at. And I walked it off at about 65 yards, but I knew on a straight line going across the canyon an angle it was probably only 50 Mm -hmm. um so the day before before i left they had come way down behind me like 150 yards uh, and they were already out in the pasture i still had good light they were gone i drew back and i put my 50 pin uh on the base of this tree on the trail basically perfectly broadside to me and Tinned it perfect right at the base of the tree. I had to unscrew the broadhead and leave the broadhead in the base of the tree. 
but I hit it perfect. So I knew that the trail was dead nuts 50. Mm-hmm. And when the bull, when the bull did come down, he was, he was raking that tree with the broadhead stuck in the bottom of it. When oh, I tried that's, it. Cool. that's cool. Man. So that was, a, that was a 1994 range front. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, that worked. <laughs> it worked. Take a practice shot. That's cool. Yeah. So how, yeah. how, um, how far would you say the average, when you, when you kill a, a bull like that or an elk, uh, where yeah. you're hunting them in the evening and they're coming back into meadows from bedding or back into water, how far, like, how do you know how close you can get to them and how far are they going to travel before it gets too dark to shoot most of the time? Well, that's almost like a chess match where you're working in closer and closer every day. You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to get lucky the first day and set up right where you need to be. You just got to kind of keep pushing in, pushing in, pushing in, um, you know, until you kind of find that perfect spot. And you just don't never know. You don't ever really know where that perfect spot's going to be. So, and this is this is strictly as it pertains to hunting bulls with cows on public land. Mm-hmm. If you're hunting places that are a low bull to cow ratio and you've got, a, and you're seeing a lot of bulls by themselves. That's when you want to incorporate cow calls and bugles and things like that. Mostly mm-hmm. cow calls. Um, to me, uh, I think that's what you, you've got to kind of be able to read your, you know, read your deck and understand what kind of hand you've been dealt. Um, so it's, it's all kind of a decision you've got to make based on your, you know, your conditions. And then, the other thing too is is that like for morning hunts, let's say that that you've got a bull and some cows working through some timber and they're just every day they just they shoot straight into the timber and then they don't get in any kind of hurry to get up where they're gonna lay up during the day. And they just kind of feed and mosey through the timber and work their way up and then they'll lay a little bit and get up and move around. When you've got that going if you can parallel wind them with thermals in the mornings, there's it's been incredibly effective for me. And then as far as people I've had with me, just basically shadowing a herd, you know, staying a couple of hundred yards back from them and just barely keeping eyes on bits and pieces of them and just kind of moving along as they go, uh, as they're moving their way back in there. If your wind is right, you know, it's super effective because, when they get ready to start kind of parking, that bull will start circling around. He'll start circling that back last cow and kind of start pushing them up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's been super effective for me and one of the guys that I spent a lot of time hunting with um, over the years is shadowing them in the mornings but staying way back so you're not spooking them. And then what happens is, is inevitably, you know, you can you – can, see them start to slow down and you can see the bull start to push around and you can do something as simple as, you know, break a few branches, roll a rock, uh, do a little bit of raking. And that bull's going to circle around thinking either you're a cow that's a straggler that's gotten far back or you're another bull slipping in. And he's just going to kind of come make a loop and look. That's been incredibly effective. And you've never really called to them. You've never disrupted them or pushed them. 
And maybe he comes within range, maybe he doesn't. But if he doesn't and he goes and lays down, then you just kind of ease out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that shadowing in the morning has been super, super effective. But again, it's different places. That would be great for Colorado. But like where you guys were in New Mexico, you got a bull of cows and he's pushing up into a spot. Man, you get within 100 yards from him, you can put him on blast and he's coming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it just depends. I mean, it's just everything. It's not a one size fits all. Yeah, 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 definitely. So is that raking the natural response? Like if you're a satellite bull, you know, be an elk, Brian, okay? If you're a satellite bull (laughs) and you're, you know, tailing up a herd with a a big bull, is raking going to be something you do, you know, as a challenge to that that herd bull? Is that a thing that they do or is it just? 100%. Okay. 100%. 100%. Yes. I would say that that raking is probably the, the single most effective communication strategy over calling and everything else as far as killing bulls. So last year, the last day I was there, I wanted to work my way up to the top of this mountain where I'd found this you know, really lush, cool, timbered area. And we had seen this one big bull just going in there every two or three days. He's pushing cows up there and everything was happening around this mountain. That was kind of the base of operations for a lot of elk. And so sure enough, as soon as the sun comes up, I can hear rocks tumbling and I start looking through the timber and I can see that same bull pushing these cows up to the top. So I'm going to go shadow him. So I get up there and I get, pretty close to him about 80 100 yards and i'm shadowing him and he had the same group of cows like seven or eight cows and i'm shadowing along and on the way up there i ran into two different bulls that i never saw never heard nothing and just ran right into them and the only reason i saw them is i could see the top of a tree shaking I'm like, well, that's not normal. <laughs> and then you look, and there's an elk at the, you know, the elk at the base of it raking his, his horns. Mm-hmm. So those satellite bulls never made a sound. They never bugled. They never made a peep. But they're circling that big bull and those cows, and they're just raking their horns, raking their horns. And um, almost killed one of them and probably could have pushed the issue with the shot. But I just really felt like I could get up there and get on top of that that big bull and push him. And I actually ended up getting between him and his cows. And at that point I thought, Oh, well I got him now. Mm -hmm. And I bugled and he literally tucked his tail, laid his ears back and ran away like a scared dog. Wow. (laughs) You sound real mean. This was a 370 bull. And I did like a little, you know, Horatio hornblower baby whistle. Baby bugle. Yeah. You know, I was trying to sound like some of these little five by fives I'd passed on the way up. And he literally just took off running. Yeah. We ran into some and of that the stuff cows too. Never, yeah. The cows never left. They just sat there and looked and thought, well, what a wuss. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, but yes, the, those satellite bulls are constantly raking their horns. Yeah. Constantly. You know, that's all something. Day, that's all I've, they do. I've never, I mean, I've done raking and calling sequences, but like I've never really put, um, well, not that I haven't put thought into it, but it just, it seems like you're just blundering around 
Is there this sounds silly, but like is there a real technique to raking? Do you find the right type of tree to rake, you know, spruce versus aspen and that sort of thing? No. No, I don't I don't know I don't know that. Just, I don't think so. Just a tree make some racket. I, I guess. I yeah, I don't really know the answer to that. I yeah. don't think there is. I don't think there's really anything definitive there. I mean, I can tell you this. I was walking out one day, um, and I was walking out this ridge and I mean, I am not even trying to be quiet. I'm not trying to be stealthy. I'm not going from cover to cover. I'm just dead on my feet, dragging my bow behind me, just one <laughs> foot in front of the other. <laughs> Cannot wait to get to the tent type of walk, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't give a flaming crap if I see an elk or not. I just want to go get vertical, I mean, horizontal and lay down mm. um, and get some more water. So I'm just trudging along, going up this ridge. And I lift my head and I'm looking and I see something that doesn't look like it's in, you know, it's totally out of place. And I stop and this is only 40 yards away. And I stop and I'm looking and finally my eyes focus and it's this bull. And he's just standing there and he's caked up in mud and he's just standing there looking right at me. And I literally have just walked in the wide open right up to him at 40 yards. And of course, I've got my bow down by my side. I'm not even remotely prepared. And then I look behind him, and there's a cow standing back there. And she's looking, and they're both sitting there looking at me. And for whatever reason, they have not figured out or picked out what I am. And so I very slowly just raise my bow because it's all I have. I can't bend over and pick a stick or anything like that up. And I raise my bow, and I reach in, and I'm grabbing an arrow out of my quiver. But as I'm doing it, I start take it's a it's a recurve, you know, so it's a wooden riser bow. I I'm pulling the arrow out. I get the arrow out, and I take the riser of my bow, and I start raking, you know, the little spruce in front of me, just raking the hell out of it with my bow. And this thing immediately, you can see the, you know, the the. Um, slobber just start pouring out of his mouth and his nose he's mad Mm. but he can't figure out what it is and i'm just raking like crazy with my bow you know and he's looking and he turns around and looks at the cow and when he turned around looked at the cow i knocked an arrow and drew back and killed him (laughs) but seriously i literally had walked right up to him yeah. And he, he just never knew. And I said 40 yards ended up being like 35 yards. Mm-hmm. That's how close I got. But they, they were probably be about, they were probably about to bolt when I started raking that tree with that bow and they just couldn't put it together on what it was, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, wow. and I mean, literally I didn't, I didn't have to sidestep or hardly do anything to shoot this bull. I was in the open. He was in the open. Mm-hmm. But it just—I well, guess—we just caught each other off guard. But um, I—I I, I would tell you that last year, I bet you we saw so many bulls that we had never seen if we would not have picked up the top of a tree shaking first while we were glassing. Hmm. And then you know you, you, we go, hey, there's a tree shaking down there. Well. If there's a thousand trees in your field of view and none of them are moving and one of them is, well, you know, it's not the wind. Yeah. You know? And mm-hmm. so you sit there and watch and then you see that body moving and then you realize it's a, you know, it's a bull. So yeah. super important. You Man, know? It's cool. That's, I mean, definitely something I'm going to have to 
work on some this year and, and use. You know, it sounds like uh, even if you're fishing, you know, you can you can use that raking thing as opposed. You know, everybody uses their bugle. If it's yeah. as effective well, it as you on, say, you could probably yeah. do that when you're close to where you know elk bedding is, and be more effective because no one's doing it. Yeah, I, I've never I've never raked with a bugle. It doesn't sound right to me. I always use a stick. Yeah, uh, or 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 I guess my bow. Mm-hmm. Um, and the <laughs> yeah, guy that the true. guy that builds my bows, he's built my bows for twenty years. I'll drop two or three off to him and go, man, can you? kind of put a new a little more finish you know put refinish and he's like what in the hell do you do these <laughs> things it's nothing like taking a twelve hundred dollar stick and just raking it on a tree it's- <laughs> oh yeah well i went to longbows because they're so easy to pack yeah you know i can stick them in my backpack and all but i also like them because i can use them as walking sticks mm-hmm. and um <laughs> and he's like he's like dude you cannot keep jabbing the end of this bow into these rocks in the ground i'm like <laughs> <laughs> well, make it make it out of con- uh, plastic or steel or something down there because yeah. I want to keep using it. You know? but, <laughs> uh, but no, I've never used the bugle. It doesn't sound right to me. Yeah, I mean, I just think a stick's better. And I mean, it doesn't matter if you break a stick off. I mean, that's what elk do. Yeah, they do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just, just when they take off running, they make a whole bunch of noise. Dead yeah, scary. <laughs> I'm telling you though, man, like rolling rocks and stuff. That's huge. Yeah. I'm yeah. telling you, it is huge. I I can't be, I can't begin to tell you how many elk I've had come in looking because you're rolling rocks. And what do they uh, think is going on? That there's a herd of cows walking, and that's where the rocks are coming from. Well, I mean, think about the elk you guys heard have heard heard. Yeah, you know, like last year, you hear their hooves on rocks. Yeah, it's like rock. dunk, 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 dunk. Yeah, yeah, and you hear rocks rolling and getting kicked around. I mean, they're not quiet animals. Mm-mm. Well, the horses were running through the woods, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they they are incredibly loud. And that's what I was saying earlier. You know, I keep saying, you you know, you're you're seeing where they're coming from, where they're going. But I'm, I'm using the term seeing loosely because a lot of it's just by sound. You're just hearing them going yeah. up in there. Observing. You know? yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a lot of, a lot of. Uh, info that I mean, I'm sure Western, I mean, Eastern guys can use. Oh, yeah, yep. heck yeah, man. I mean, that's why we always like to talk to you about this stuff because, quite honestly, and it is beneficial, don't get me wrong. Talking to guys who grew up in the mountains and grew up around elk, they have some, a particular set of insights. But to, I don't know, how many, I don't know the percentages, but you got to figure half the guys who are going to hunt elk this year are traveling to at least a different state, right? So, there's yeah. there's a ton of value in talking to someone who has done the traveling thing and done it well, and that's that's what you've done, man. So mm-hmm. we really appreciate your willingness to always share with us uh, all the vast knowledge that you have, sir, mm-hmm. on the Don't podcast and, other, and, and otherwise. <laughs> no, I, I say it in jest, but for real, man, you, yeah. you, uh, you you're a great guy, a, a great friend. I really appreciate it, and we really appreciate uh, you know your willingness to to share stuff with, with us, uh, whether on the podcast or whether we're just chit-chatting. Um, but uh, you also make some some great stuff, man. So uh, y'all go check out day6gear.com. Isn't that what it is, day6gear.com? Um, oh, he didn't even know yeah. his website. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I froze up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. He's so, blushing. I mean, you guys know I didn't start this for to be in the industry sure. or yeah. whatever. I mean, I, I just want to help 
guys be more successful. And it's so much fun being able to see, you know, guys put this stuff to use and come back and go, Oh man, you know, this has been a game changer. And whether it's helping somebody tune their bow or get the right stuff or even help them, you know, find the right place to go hunt or figure out the place they pick that they're going to hunt. I mean, that's fun for me. Yeah. I love it. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I don't, and like, I can say this and vouch for you a little bit here that I, I don't think that you just saying that to act like a good guy, because, you know, we, we met you, uh, maybe two, a week and a half ago or something like that. You were in, you're in our state somewhere and <laughs> right. you, were, you were just helping, helping out a guy, uh, you know, with some bow stuff. And it's like, man, you drove all the way to Texas to do that. You know, um, we were wondering why you weren't trying to make millions, you know, over here, but, um, yeah. you know, you well, were, I don't know how to drill for oil. So I don't really, I'm kind of lost when I get over there. Yeah. You're on the wrong side of the state. Yeah, You got to go further west. <laughs> yeah. That's where all that well, goes down. It's just fun helping guys. It's fun helping guys become successful and seeing all that and everybody says that and it sounds so cliche Mm. so i feel like kind of a banana head saying that but i I really do i really do i know (laughs) i really do like it i mean i want to see you guys you know hooping and hollering and freaking out over a dead bull this year yeah 200 but you don't want to see us hooping and hollering over a 90 uh you know a 45 inch shed right (laughs) oh Oh, you mean to tell me that that shed was only forty five? Well, I don't I even know if it's forty five. I bet it was thirty. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty. It was pretty small. It was pretty small. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying the shed was half a ninety? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm I saying, thought y'all found a ninety inch shed. No, you did a, you really, dude? No way. Ain't well, it. I thought y'all found a shed like off a one eighty. No, not in Texas. No, no, no. It's tiny, tiny, tiny. It was uh, pretty small. And I'm going to shoot a tiny elk this year and be super stoked. So. <laughs> I hope you do. Yeah, I hope you shoot a cow. I mean, just shoot eight, just shoot an elk. Our goal is is to Tyler for Tyler to shoot his first bull. And then after yep. that, dude, the first legal animal I'm smoking because I love it, dude. It's, it's just gonna so be much hard fun. for me to pass a cow too. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where I stand on that right now. You yeah, know, so. I mean, I'm not gonna judge you at all if you do shooting your first elk is gonna be a big deal. Yeah. either way, you know, we come home with two cows in the truck. That's a heck of a trip. Yeah, you know, so yep. cow elk, not Brian cow. <laughs> yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hold on, now that's how rumors get. <laughs> oh yeah, that's just a judo cow. It didn't didn't really die. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, Brian, dude, good luck this season. I know we're going to talk pretty often, but for formalities, yeah. we're going to tell you good luck this season on the podcast. So, uh, anyways, yeah. man, thanks for your time and, and have a good night, brother. You too, guys. See y'all later. Now that was some killer info. Don't forget to subscribe, and a five star review means a ton to us. Remember, this is your element. Living it. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. 
I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. 